shipments coming in on Tuesday. Call me, man. I want this, I want that. And then local people would come in and, and I'd get like the leftovers and whatever. So I just thought, why can't I, like, I'm serious about reptiles. I'm as serious as a heart attack. I'm, I'm more serious than 99% of the people out here doing reptiles. I want to import. And I just got on a plane and I came to Thailand and I started going to the wet markets and all this. And it, I basically just sort of faked my way out the door, you know, slammed a door, banged it, banged, put my hand, banged my hand on the table, whatever. And I had those two dudes in there scared because they, you know, they, I was way bigger than, than both those guys. And, uh, and I just had to posture and make myself really freaking scary at that point. And I got out of there, um, went back to my hotel. I changed hotels because they knew where I was staying. So I changed to another hotel. I even called home. I, was, I told my family, I said, look, if I'm not on that plane tomorrow. Welcome to episode number 100 of the Animals at Home podcast. My name is Dylan Perrin, and thank you so much for tuning in today. It is somewhat surprising that we're at episode number 100. Well, I shouldn't say it's surprising. In some ways, it feels like I've been doing the podcast forever, and in other ways, it feels like I've just started the podcast. So I don't even know what to think, but... Anyway, somehow we've hit 100 episodes, and I really only have you guys to thank. If there were no listeners for the show, I would not have hit episode number 100 for sure. So thank you so much for supporting the show, and here's to another 100 episodes from here. We have a very special episode today, and really I think it's a perfect episode to be episode number 100. Today I'm speaking with Dan Maleri. I think most people are familiar with Dan. He probably really doesn't need much of an introduction. If you're not familiar with Dan, you're probably familiar with his YouTube channel, DM Exotics. Dan is a longtime reptile keeper and as well as a longtime reptile importer. Dan mainly focuses on importing from Asian countries like Indonesia, Thailand, and Malaysia, and he actually currently lives in Thailand with his wife, Apple. Now, in this episode, we discuss sort of the ethics surrounding wild caught and importation in the reptile hobby or in herpetoculture, and he discusses how he does that ethically and how he also has the animal's interests at heart first when it comes to bringing new animals into the country. He really lays out what it's like to be a reptile importer, and he gets into some crazy stories. I think Dan has probably books or podcast episodes on podcast episodes of crazy importation stories of or exploring through the jungle type stories. We do get into a few of those today and I, we'll have to have him back on to continue telling those stories because they are pretty fascinating. And we wrap up the conversation discussing herpetoculture in general. Are we headed in the right direction? Are we moving in a positive way or are things starting to slip into the negative side? I think Dan has a great perspective perspective on that as well. And, we, and that was a great way to close out the conversation. So I hope you enjoyed this one. I think this is a perfect episode again for episode number 100. Dan was a fantastic guest. So let's jump into the episode. But of course, before we do, let's quickly jump into our housekeeping. If you're looking for more information on this episode of the podcast or any other episode, make sure you head to animalsathomenetwork.com. And if you are interested in supporting the show by picking yourself up a sweater or a t-shirt, head to animalsathome.ca slash shop. Every t-shirt and every sweater that gets sold $5 is automatically donated to the Amazon Rainforest Conservancy. If you would like to interact with the podcast on a slightly deeper level, come join us over at patreon.com slash animals at home. There you have early access to episodes. You have the opportunity to submit questions to upcoming guests. And you also just get to interact with myself and the other listeners, which is really fun. 
And finally, thank you very much to CustomReptileHabitats.com for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you are interested in any new reptile-related equipment, make sure you head to the YouTube description or the show notes, and there is an affiliate link there. If you do click it and make a purchase, a small commission comes back to me at no extra cost to you, and then you will in turn be helping produce and support the show. Let's jump into this conversation with Dan. Enjoy. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thank you. Let's just start off with something simple. How is life in Thailand? Life in Thailand. Um, it is very quiet where I'm at because I'm in a rural area. I'm in just a little tiny village. Uh, the nearest city, it's a small city, and that is about 15 minutes by car from me. And so um, aside from that, I'm set up here really well, very, you know, have all the creature comforts and things that I need just maybe once a week or every two weeks we drive in and get food from the from the store or whatever but uh things are slow covid is it it creeps in and out of our life but for the most part we're pretty far removed from a lot of that stuff because we're just not around people so much and and it's pretty that's pretty mellow you know it's, it's easy to forget about what's going on unless you you know turn on the tv or the computer or yeah, yeah. or whatever yeah. And you have a great amount of reptile wildlife to keep you busy. Yeah, definitely. It actually starts to kind of get boring after a while because, <laughs> you know, like um, yesterday, yesterday, I don't know, it's all a blur. Being retired with no schedules, I don't even know what day it is sometimes. But uh, uh, I think it was yesterday, my wife and I, we were on the couch watching Netflix because um, we have internet and all that stuff. And all of a sudden her nephew comes running up the stairs yelling that there's a snake. And then, you know, we went downstairs and right at the foot of the stairs, the dogs are barking at a little um, cuckoo snake, you know, and it's just like, it's just nonstop. It's nonstop. There are constantly creatures like everywhere, yeah, just everywhere. And when we first got here, you know, we wanted to make content and, and kind of introduce sort of our new life to people through our YouTube channel. So we were going out quite often and doing videos and then, you know, out in the, the nighttime and doing all of our walks and stuff. And then now it's just kind of like, maybe once a week, it'll be like, you want to go for a walk? Yeah, let's go. Let's go for a walk, you know, but it's not like, we're not super aggressive. Like we're just dying to make content, like yeah, our yeah. content, you know, it's like when we feel like, it'd be a nice night or maybe the temperatures cool off a little bit, then we just go out and we just do, we just go do a walk. You know, we always have the cameras with us and I always have GoPros and things just always like, for example, like I'm always set up, right. Mm -hmm. I always have something ready to go because even yesterday was a prime example. Like we recorded that, you know, because there was a snake downstairs and we never know when something's going to happen. So I'm always ready to rock with, with a camera just to document stuff because you don't know it could be it could be a just a little water snake downstairs it could be a 12-foot king cobra like you just don't know it could be some epic video opportunity missed if you're not ready with the camera equipment so i'm always ready always. And it's probably best <laughs> to just have it so you just take care you you take advantage of the when they pop up spontane spontaneously rather than trying to go okay we're going to go every wednesday and go herping and then you just end up pushing or forcing the content and it doesn't seem as natural exactly and chances are you will 
zero out as well. Yeah. Because even though our content kind of makes it look like you can just go out at any any day, any night, whatever, and and stumble across snakes, that's not that's not really factual. I mean, when we go out, we video what we see, but sometimes the nights are super quiet, mm-hmm. or we might we'll set it up as a like a super cool adventure adventurous night trek. And I'll do the intro and do all the little B-roll as we go. And then uh, maybe just find one snake. And then I sit back and go, that's not really all that exciting of an episode, even though that one little bit was awesome. Mm -hmm. So that's why for those of your audience that are watching my channel, I've been doing those little DME quick clips, I named them, because that's just like little footage that didn't make it into one of our like official episodes, but yet I want to show people that are interested in maybe that species or seeing something new. So then that way, I, it's a way for me to get out that little bit of, of content. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it sort of seems like you've now somehow you've taken on a role of being a, a snake mover or you you go on snake calls. Is that, how did that happen? Was it something that people knew you're a snake guy? So you get the phone call. Yeah. I've been coming out here since 2000, eight, I think maybe 2007 or eight was the first time that I had, I had been in a relationship with my wife and she brought me to the village. Mm. And so of course, when I come out to the village, you know, I'm like, Hey, let's, can we go out and look for creatures, you know? And so like, that's when it started. And then, so everybody in this village and there's a lot of other villages outside of ours that people are watching our YouTube channel and they'll like yell Apple's name. Like they'll be just be driving by the house and like people will yell hello to her or something. And they, they only know her through the videos, but she's like, I have no idea who that person was, but those same people, they will call or they'll, they'll send a Facebook message. There's a lot of people on Facebook out here. Um, and, and yeah, and then that's how we get our, all of our messages, you know, Hey, there's a snake. Most of them are, they are not like, it's not like people going, Hey, there's a, there's a snake in our yard and let's call him because we can either make it on YouTube or they'll give us money or they'll give us whatever. It's not like that. But most of the people that call it's, it's legitimately, they, they want the snake removed from their house or they want the snake removed from their yard because they're afraid that their dog is going to bite it or whatever. And then other people are, are doing it because they know that I am into reptiles. But I mean, if you notice, you don't see, you don't see those local people like fighting to be on camera or anything, you know? And um, yeah, it's a little bit of both, but um, we don't, we don't pay people for that and they don't pay us for that at all. It's just something that we do. And it's a great way to get extra content for the channel because it's spontaneous. It's real. It's not staged. You know, I I never know what it is. I don't get photos usually in advance. I don't know what, what stuff is. So I'll grab my, my safety goggles, you know, because it might be a spitter or whatever. And like, I just don't know what it is, but I love the content that is, that it that really kind of tests me and puts me on the spot because it's real. Yeah, and I think people can see the difference when it's real. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, it's, all, and it's all real, you know, like it's all, it's all, it's all legit. It's all real. But 
I notice that I'm getting more calm and accustomed to every animal interaction that I have because just because of experience, you know, and so, you know, I don't, you know, my eyes don't aren't like wide open and I'm, you know, mesmerized and shaking and all that like that doesn't happen. So maybe to some people that does look kind of fake, but it's just, I'm just calm with all that stuff. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. I just, I just handle it. You know, I got my equipment and I, and I have knowledge and, and I just do my thing and whatever. Well, it's, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely entertaining and it's so interesting to see all the species that you pull out. What's the sort of general feeling towards snakes with the local community? Are they very fearful of them? Are they generally try to kill them? What, what do they sort of feel that way? Every snake, it, it, any snake is a dead snake. Like that, that's, okay. that's the best way that I can describe it. Um, through our interactions with the local people, um, I try to let people get up close after I've caught something or I let people see it and I have Apple, you know, my wife, explain to them in, in their language because nobody speaks English, um, what it is, what it's eating, why it's there, what it's looking for, maybe what, what have you done as a homeowner to accidentally allow that animal or entice that animal into the house and stuff like that. So I try to, to let everybody know kind of things that they can do um, to correct, you know, like the, like there was a, a spitting cobra that went, went into someone's bathroom and there's a, there's like a drainage hole that goes out the wall out to outside from, from inside the bathroom. So, you know, like a, a toad ventures into that hole because it's a nice little secure spot. And then the snake follows, you know, to eat the toad or whatever. And it's like, just cover up that hole. Mm -hmm. You know, you can open it up while you're showering if you need that water to go out, but don't leave it open all the time because then animals are going to come in, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it's just stuff like that. But no, they're all super fearful of everything. And some people eat snakes and some don't. Um, but the ones that, that do eat them, sometimes they'll bring stuff by, you know, and they'll be like, I, this belongs to this guy and we're going to eat it, but I just wanted you to see it first. And then sometimes, depending on what it is, you know, I'll be like, no, let me, like, what, what can I, what can I give you or do for you that will cause you to give me that animal? Mm -hmm. You know, like if it's a gravid female or of whatever, or something along those lines, I'll be like, no, 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 no. You're not going to eat this. Like this, like, come on, let, let's work something out. Yeah. And then usually it's possible, you know, because I can give them something better to eat. Yeah. You know, I try not to do money, but I try, but it's like, you know, my, my wife might, you know, she, we may give them beer or whiskey or whatever, anything, whatever it is, like whatever's better than that animal in their eyes. Like we'll just do a quick swap, you know? I might be releasing that animal like later on that day in a better area and hope that it doesn't get captured. But, but to me, it's worth it. You know? Have you ever tried to eat snake? I have, I have eaten snake in, in Laos. I ate, um, I ate a radiated rat snake once and it just, it's just like chewy chicken. Like everything tastes like chicken, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then I had 
I had retic reticulated python in a soup um, on the island of Kochang. They caught a big retic, and it was already dead, and it was already chopped up. And they invited us, you know, to try it. They're like, "Hey, we're, you know, we're gonna make it." The soup was so spicy; it was the spiciest thing I've ever eaten in my life, and I did not taste anything except like my eyebrows melting down my face. Like that was the it was insane so it's not it's not like some delicious thing but it you know it, it is a food source like everything pretty much out here is a food source yeah you know people are very poor and they 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 utilize whatever they can you know there's a there's a lot of frogs being eaten here there's lots of fish there's a lot of insects being consumed it's just you know mushrooms of course, vet fruits and vegetables and all that stuff, but uh, not everything. Everything is a is a food source, you know. Yeah, Unless I, somebody like comes along with something better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got the whiskey out there. They're all of a sudden they'd rather have that. I saw you collecting some I, some little frogs for feeding some of your hatchlings, and and then you were saying like you know people will eat these frogs. And when you said that, I thought I was expecting you to go catch to see some bigger frogs, but they're just like little little frogs. I th- you know people are eating yeah, those little things. They are. Um, I was obviously targeting all the small stuff for the for right. my snakes. Um, they like just the other night we were we we were on a walk and we stopped by. It's actually our um, the the housekeeper that we have. Her brother has a frog like farm not far from here, and so I had never gone and looked over the concrete barriers to see like what was going on in there. But because it was kind of a slow, boring walk, we weren't seeing much. So my wife was like, Hey, let's go look, you know? So she yelled out in the dark because there's always somebody that has to watch because people will, you know, they'll be stealing those frogs Mm -hmm. from those people. So there's always somebody like a night watchman. And um, she, she knew who it was. She yelled out and was like, Hey, can we see your, your frogs or whatever? And they're huge bullfrogs, Mm -hmm. like huge, like, as big as the biggest like pixie frog you've seen wow. they're bullfrogs that were that big and and they're being raised for food mm. so and, and yeah so they're breeding and the whole tadpoles and, and the whole thing so wow. that, now, now that's a good meal because that's big you know that's a big that's a big uh big animal but um but they'll eat the small stuff too they'll eat the tadpoles they'll they'll brew them all together in like a little stew or a soup or something. Yeah. That takes some getting used to. (laughs) Yeah. I'm one trip out here. um, It was just, it was during that season and I like, I'll eat anything. It doesn't matter. And so a lot of bowls of tadpoles were being put in front of me during meals. And at first I was eating them like just because you know, I mean, it doesn't taste bad. It's, it's everything's spiced up with stuff. You know, there's different herbs and things in there, but I just got so burned out on, on eating them and the feeling of them in my mouth and looking at them. And I haven't touched any since. It's yeah. just, yeah, I just, I just, I don't know. Yeah. I don't blame you there. <laughs> so, so your wife obviously grew up in that village and did she have the same sort of fear of reptiles as well back? Cause now she her like, she's getting her hands on everything. It seems like she's very excited by them, but did she yeah. start afraid of them? Yes. Mm-hmm. And still is, uh, still has a fear, but, but 
now it's combined with knowledge of being able to identify things and that and that sort of thing. Mm. But she is still not super comfortable with all of them, you know. But uh, but as long as she has the knowledge to be able to identify stuff, then it's it's different. But she doesn't like any it, you know. Even if it's a baby, nothing, you know. She's still it's she still is not comfortable with being bit by stuff. Mm. So, but she's happy yeah. to go out and look for them. Yeah, yeah, she. We're in one of those relationships, like the way that it should be, where your your significant other, your partner, um, supports the other yeah. in whatever that interests them, or 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 you know whatever it may be. And so she's she's right there by my side. It's not like a fabricated excitement or interest in those animals. She legitimately does get excited just as much as I do when I'm excited about something. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, yeah, and so it's just it's it's great like that, you know. It's just one of those things because there's a lot of people in relationships where the wife or or the other person is just like, "Nah, I'm good. Like you just go mess around with your stuff and keep it away from me," you know. And there's there's no interest, there's no partnership, there's nothing there, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a tough situation. My wife is very similar. She's not obsessed with them, but she definitely finds them fascinating and she'll come look at the snakes and whatnot. She's a little bit scared of them. She doesn't like holding them, but still, it's not like she's not disgusted by them. So if, I always ask this question to people who, who spend a lot of time in the natural habitats. You know, you're seeing these animals wild. Does it make you sort of, sort of change your perspective as far as caring for them or keeping them in captivity? Like, does it, do you have yeah. any of that guilt? That is a fantastic question. Yes. When you start seeing these animals in the wild, it becomes a really big battle in your head over morals, ethics, all of it. It just becomes it. It just becomes a mess, mm-hmm. and I feel like that is one of many factors why my presence on YouTube is not appreciated as much as other YouTubers, because I feel like it, it almost gives viewers that same, that same feeling without traveling and like going there and seeing this stuff, because I'm showing, I'm showing my audience what I'm seeing. And I almost wonder if a little bit of the struggle that it creates in my mind pushes off a little bit onto them, because I'll tell you right now, the best example that I can give is green tree pythons. <clears throat> I only found my first green tree python in the wild maybe four years ago, three years ago, something like that. I'm 50 years old. I've had snakes since I was nine. I saw green tree pythons in cages from a very, very early young age in pet stores. And I had never seen green tree python in the wild. I had only seen them in a cage, mm-hmm. in a in a box. Sometimes I just refer to it as a box because it is, it's a box, right? Yeah. And green tree pythons especially are often kept in very small cages because they don't move around and they're, you know, they're stationary and they're arboreal and all that other stuff. So I had just seen green tree pythons for how many decades in containers in boxes and all that and then that first day here i am i see that first one in the wild and it was it was a shock 
to my brain because it did it was so foreign to me that i just i'm walking through the jungle at night and i saw a green tree python on a low on a low branch in the wild and it was like for you know for 40 years my mind identified a green tree python as belonging in a box yes yeah and and then here i am i see the first one in the wild and it was very disturbing to me and yeah. even to this day it 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 is it is a struggle to see to see all these different animals the scrub pythons the alberts all, all that stuff that you know now after all these years of travel i've seen every, you know not everything but i've seen so many animals in the wild mangrove snakes all this of course cyanea right all over the place everywhere around and and it makes me just look at everything totally different totally different so i have to have this really weird separation in my mind between like like these are for captivity and these are for for nature or i don't know it's really hard to explain yeah not a lot of people have been as fortunate as i have to be able to see all these things in the wild but yes that is a long, very long answer to your question, but it is, it's a struggle. It yeah. is definitely creates a big rift. <laughs> well, and I think it's good. Like I, I've said on the podcast in the past, if you don't feel guilty about keeping reptiles in captivity, at least once a month, probably, you're probably not thinking about it deep enough. You're probably not thinking, okay, what can I do to make this life a little bit better for this animal? Because, you know, you see that green tree python in the wild, and just imagine bringing in like an enclosure that would be the appropriate size in, in the hobby into that same setting. You would look at it and, and laugh at how small it looks compared to this yeah. big mass world that it could be in. Right, right. And there's a lot of people that I think they sell themselves on the argument that like I'm saving this animal, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm, I'm saving it from parasites i'm saving it from predators i'm saving it from injury i'm i'm providing this home for it and it's like yeah really really because go out in the wild and and take a close look at the animals that that you find are they are they i mean maybe they do have parasites but they're existing with them yeah perfectly do they have scars Eh, sometimes but usually they're perfect you know and they're super healthy they're well hydrated they're fantastic body weight they're not skinny or obese and and you just kind of think man i don't even know if putting these animals in captivity is doing a, an individual animal any benefit at all because all the animals that i've seen in the wild i mean every once in a while you'll see one and you'll go wow you've been through some stuff right <laughs> with yeah, yeah. scars and all that other stuff but you know the anything that's sick or heavily like you know like full of parasites or whatever those animals are they're weeded out by nature you know so it's just the, usually the only things that you see in the wild are are superb they're yeah. they're just fantastic shape and then and then that then that creates even more argument you know a, a more struggle in your brain you know where you're going i don't know if i'm doing this animal a favor by putting it in a box or not you know because yeah. it looks amazing out here. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it is tough. That's why I think there needs to be sort of an element to 
you know, having a bit of a con- conservation element to herpetoculture in the captive setting. Like we need to be thinking about that as well. Like what can we do to make sure that we're helping the environment to stay intact or, you know, that we're not constantly poaching from, from the wild. So obviously, I mean, a big part of your job, maybe not as much anymore is importing. And, and part of that is wild caught importing. So for myself, when I see wild caught imports, I don't have an issue with it, but I prefer those animals to end up in a home of somebody that's going to work with that species and hopefully breed them. So we can, and so we can hopefully not just continuously pull them from the wild. Where do you sit with that? Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I, I've been importing since 2008. And then prior to that, I was only just doing breeding, not for a living. I had a regular job, but um, but I took it real serious. So my business prior to 2008 was just captive breeding only and and buying some wild caught animals, of course, from other importers and things because I always kind of work with the weird stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, in 2007, 2008, I started importing and it, it, it then becomes more of a business at that point, but you, at least for me, I have to do right by the animals themselves. So the animals are coming in, I'm, I'm providing them care, right? I'm, I'm not just looking at dollar signs. And I think that's where most importers and resellers have gone wrong is they, they don't have the 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 love of the animals anymore they just have the love of the money Mm -hmm. it just becomes all about money and they don't have any interest in the animals anymore so it so the animals are are just a commodity and they 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 just get flipped and passed around as fast as possible and and you know these guys are, are cutting corners and it's just all about money and for me I mean, a lot of times, yeah, a lot of times it is about money. I'm not going to lie. I mean, if you, if I spend $30,000 on a shipment, mm-hmm. it is about recovering some money. I mean, but, of course. but I'm not, but I'm not like, it's not at the expense of the animals. Like I'm not, you know, wow, that animal just was in, in transit for three days. And, you know, and it's like, I have a buyer that's willing to give me the, a bunch of money, like right, right the second, or I can reship it or whatever. It's like, no, I don't do that, man. I'm, I'll sit on the animals, give them some water, give them some stress-free time, you know, that kind of thing. But it is, it, it's a struggle. It is, it's, it's totally, it, it's, it's very difficult. It's very complex uh, sitting in my seat. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's a lot of elements to it. There's a lot of emotion to it. And I've never lost my passion for the animals. So I try to be one of the good guys. I try to do, make the right decisions. I try not to import animals that I know are not like known for doing well in captivity. I just don't want to be dealing in stuff like that. Unfortunately, there's many people behind me that will. Yeah. So, so like, by me making the choice not to take, you know, a hundred whatevers, it it doesn't really make any difference. Doesn't impact the the whole industry because behind me there's a there's just a low grade importer that's send me whatever you know, and and it's tough. It is. It's very 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 tough. 
but I'm out here doing what it is that I'm doing now. And I'm, I owe so much to reptiles. And, and so I, I'm trying to, trying to give back like what little I can yeah, to yeah. the animal bit and that sort of thing. But, but it is, it's really, really difficult. And I, as I see other importers sort of progressing down, down that road, and a lot of them went down that road way before my, my time. And the way that they deal with it is just being cold, cold hearted, just straight up. It's, this is business. This is money. And, you know, a lot of them don't even touch the animals. They just got workers, you know, the work, yeah. the worker will come report back and say, you know, Hey, these aren't doing good. And just be like, Oh, forget about them concentrate on these you know i don't know it's 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 a crazy thing it yeah, really yeah. is <laughs> well i appreciate to hear the the struggle too because i could imagine if i was in that position i would feel the same way and and like you're alluding to i mean you go back into the 80s and into the 90s the importation was just completely wild and it was totally cold like you said it's just complete business transaction animals are dying on mass like getting stuffed into socks and weird things like that so what was the motivation for you to start importing in 08 were you just sort of seeing some of those negative sides and thought that you could do it cleaner and better for the animal or was there was there another story there that's a whole that's a whole story and i am going to do a video on how i became involved in importing um I wanted to do it from here, but a lot of my old pictures are back home. So I'm waiting until I have access to some of the older photos so I can make the video more interesting by throwing some old photos as I'm kind of talking and telling my story. But um, I had always been into the weird kind of obscure, you know, people always hear me and now I see people using the, the same adjectives right but uh the obscure reptiles the oddball stuff i'd always been into that and it was always coming into florida always everything was coming into florida we had a couple of importers out here uh out here uh in california where i was where i grew up in but um all the good stuff was coming into florida and i couldn't i wasn't there so i was having issues like trying to be that guy the first one to you know hey you, you the shipments coming in on Tuesday, call me, man, I want this, I want that. And then local people would come in and, and I get like the leftovers and whatever. So I just thought, why can't I, like, I'm serious about reptiles. I'm as serious as a heart attack. I'm, I'm more serious than 99% of the people out here doing reptiles. I want to import. Why can't I do this? Right. So I start, I reach out to Ben Siegel and Bushmaster and all these people, you know, Hey, I want to, I want to be, you know, can, can I get a contact? Like how, how can I do it? Whatever. Of course, crickets, nobody answers me. No one replies, nothing. So I thought, okay, fine. I'm not giving up. And I just got on a plane and I came to Thailand and I started going to the wet markets and all this. And it, and it just started from there. And um, once I found like a supplier, then I had to figure out, on the on my side in the US side, what do I do? And so I figured it all out. Nobody helped me. It was a huge struggle, but I figured it out. And then um, Thailand didn't end up being the best place to do business. Um, didn't really get, well, kind of got burned, but kind of didn't. Uh, but those were growing pains. And so, cause by the time all that stuff had happened to me, I was now licensed and I 
and I knew every, like everything was set up, everything was lined up. And then just through a bunch of weird circumstances, I ended up in Malaysia, um, establishing really good business ties that are still ongoing to this day. And then from there, by some weird circumstance, I found my way into Indonesia and same exact thing got established, still in business with the same people that I am today. And, uh, and that is how I was getting my animals without having to be like third, fourth, fifth, sixth string, you know, in line yeah, yeah. for good stuff. I, and then the other thing is, is there, there were animals that I wanted that, that none of those importers ever had knew anything about, recognized any of the, the names, the scientific names, like completely foreign things. Cause I was always after the weird stuff, you know, the, the weird cheap stuff and none of those people could help whatsoever. They, they were just like, what? <laughs> Everybody's asking me for, everybody wants blue tongue skinks and green tree pythons. And you want a what? Like a what kind of snake? Like, you know, where, you know, so anyway, I started pulling in all this stuff and um, I was super happy because I was, I was getting everything that I wanted, everything that I was asking for. And plus I was flying back and forth constantly. So I'm sitting with these guys and I would print out photos like, cause this was a long time ago. Right. So we didn't have no, you know, we weren't carrying around cell phones with, with uh, image galleries and, you know, flipping through going, Hey, what about this? What about this? What? Like we were just, you know, I printing out photos and, or bringing a book or whatever. What about these? What about that? And I started working with these guys. They started getting me all this stuff. Then I, I, I'm creating markets through my, through my interest. It starts creating markets. And then of course, now the other importers, they're smelling money through the things that I'm doing. Now things are gaining in popularity. And so now like I kind of created competition for myself with certain things, but, but that's in a nutshell, that's kind of how it started, but it was, this is a very crazy few years for me. Um, learned a lot, saw a lot, experienced a lot through, through all of the, all of the ins and outs and ups and downs and, and, and all that stuff. And, and I try to always be humble, but that is, that is my life experience going through all of that stuff. I've seen crazy things like, and just, I know so much about the industry. I know more about the industry. I'm not trying to sound like I'm like the godfather of all this stuff, but because I go, because I travel and I go over to all these different countries and I sit with these guys, we have conversations about things and they tell me stuff that they don't want to put it in an email or send that message through WhatsApp. So we have very, very candid conversations about, did you hear about this guy? Did you, did you know this? Did you know that? And whatever. And so I have like, I have a crazy amount of knowledge and information that the other importers that are just all happy, like sitting in their office, you know, in my, in Miami or whatever, like those guys, don't go back and forth and, and all that stuff. So they don't even know half the stuff that I, that I know. And, and it's, it's pretty crazy. 
and I'm getting off on a, on a whole different thing, but, um, but then social media and I see all these people, little kids, you know, posting pictures of what they just got and look at this and look at that and making jokes and, and, and purposely like, you know, calling something something else because it's funny and then all the rest of the group chimes in and ah, 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 and LOLs and all that stuff. And, and I just, I, I, I'm quiet. I don't even comment. And I just sit there and I'm like, dude, you, you don't even deserve a seat at my table. Mm-hmm. Like you, you have, you are so green in this whole thing. Like you have no idea. You're holding an animal that comes from this place that is, you know, politically unstable. You have no idea the legalities or, or illegalities of getting that animal from A to B to C to D, whatever. But then, you know, you're sitting in mommy, mom and dad's house in your bedroom posting a picture for Instagram and making these like little childish comments. And it's like, oh, you should have more respect for that animal than that. Like, that's just like everything is just going yeah, yeah. in real our direction you know, like they have no really. context of what they're holding and the fact that they're in the middle of the united states with an animal that came from a tropical jungle halfway across the world and it's probably the ancestor of an animal that would have had you know like you said it would have been very impossible to get it out of the country and all these steps between that yeah. ancestor being pulled out of the forest and that picture being taken and it's almost like there's no respect yeah there's people going to jail for you to get that animal there could be people that are getting killed you know, for you to get that animal, that's extreme, but it's very likely. There's all kinds of stuff going on. And then when I see all these social media posts and it's just, I just, I roll my eyes and just swipe. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? It's crazy. And I I don't, I'm not the guy that wants to, to go police social media and, 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 grind all these people, you know, and, and make all these comments. So I just sit back and I'm just quiet. But but inside, man, I tell you, <laughs> I know a lot. <laughs> well, I would, I would love to hear, it's funny because you say you have some crazy things and literally one of my notes here is crazy stories, question mark, because I just know that you probably have some crazy stories in you. Are there any that you can tell that you know, that you're comfortable telling that you, know, you don't have to expose anything or anybody, but I'm just curious. I know you've literally, it seems like you've traveled everywhere and you've probably done some crazy stuff and been in some remote areas. So are there any stories that you can share? Um, yeah, the craziest story that I have, I can share. Um, it kind of, the, the other things are just um, getting to places are like, it's it's safety third always you know like you'd be on a boat that's like like topsy-turvy feels like it's gonna flip like no life jackets just all kinds of you know overloaded with people overweight just all that stuff air you know airplanes that are rickety and sound like they're gonna fall out of the sky and like all that kind of stuff that that's just travel right that's just you know, um, like in Papua, you know, like you may you may see on 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 TV, you know, where where dudes will put uh, they'll lay logs out on a road and just make some sort of weird thing, and you have to pay pay the money to for them to let you pass. Like I've been 
in West Papua, I've been through numerous amounts of those where like, you know, a bunch of, bunch of local gangsters on the side of the road, you know, and you pull up and they, they just, they stick their head in a car and they're, you know, they're, you got to pay money or else I don't know what's going to happen and you just pay a little money and go and whatever. So that, that, that's common, but, uh, yeah, in the beginning, I was doing business with a dude in Bangkok with a with a local guy. Um, none of the shipments were were arriving in good condition. Um, lots of loss, lots of DOA, poor condition. Not uh, animals that weren't on my order. Things are missing. Just like all kinds of deficiencies. And so, I felt like after a few shipments, like things weren't going good at all and i got one shipment with a lot of loss in it and i went to him and you know i'm like what's going on you know like you, you guarantee live arrival i'm way upside down in this like what are we going to do with this with what you owe me and then he wanted me to like come up with the amount of money that i had wired to his daughter or whatever because i was just the money part was with his daughter so he goes get, get a money amount show me the the wires come to my shop tomorrow morning, whatever. I'm going to make good on this. And so I was like, oh, I slept good that night. I was like all excited thinking, wow, this guy's going to probably hand me some money and we're going to part ways and, and like I'll be even and then I can move on to something else. And, and then he flipped it all around. It was really weird. I walked into the shop. There was two dudes in there, two young guys I'd never seen before. And they were like cleaning glass. But they were in the same spot for the whole time, cleaning the same little spot, kind of looking over their shoulder or whatever. And right away, like I'm, I'm pretty street smart. I'm pretty aware. You know, I, I worked in law enforcement for over 31 years, you know, so I'm like, I'm always looking over my shoulder anyway. I'm always, I'm always looking, where's the exit? in case where you know just all kinds of stuff i'm watching people i'm always doing all that stuff it doesn't matter so i um instantly i'm like okay something's off here i've never seen these two dudes before and um i sit down and the guy the guy goes all right so tell me show me like how much money you've paid so i do that and then real quick like everything changes he says, all right, well, you remember those geckos that you ordered from me? Yes. Well, I sent my two guys down and they had to collect those from a national park down in the south or something. And they both got arrested. And I had to spend this much money to pay the police to get them out of custody, get them out of jail. So even if I deduct what I owe you from the money that I paid to get these out of get these guys out of jail because of you because of your order you owe me right so he flips it all around like now i owe him money and so things started getting crazy in there those two dudes in there started acting real different and i didn't know what was going on but i had a really bad sense that a knife was going to be pulled or something like it just it something was was bad so i had to I had to posture. Um, I I got myself acting like real angry and real puffed up and chicken chested and all kinds of craziness. And um, I basically just sort of faked my way 
out the door, you know, slammed a door, banged it, banged, put my hand, banged my hand on the table, whatever. And I had those two dudes in there scared because they, you know, they, I was way bigger than, than both those guys. And, and I, and I just had to posture and make myself really freaking scary at that point. And I got out of there, um, went back to my hotel. I changed hotels because they knew where I was staying. So I changed to another hotel. I even called home. I, was, I told my family, I said, look, if I'm not on that plane tomorrow, this, this is where I'm staying. I gave them like my last known location. I was re I really, I really thought that that, that I wasn't going to make it home. It was, it was crazy. And then those, the guys that I was doing business with also, I don't want to say they were mafia, but they were, they were in there somewhere. It's not a, not a good element. It's yeah. not, a lot of times animal dealers are also other dealers of other things and involved in other things. So you're not always doing business with people that are straight up, but that was a pretty crazy story. Very, very fresh in my mind, even after all these years. Um, and of course I made it home and, and then that was the end of it. I never did any more business with that guy. And then the funny thing is, is that I didn't ask anybody to go into a national park and, and collect animals illegally, but I had photos of the animals that I had taken in that guy's shop, right? They were all packaged and everything else. A couple of years later, I'm doing business now with my partner in Malaysia. And I told him the story and he was like, oh yeah, I know that guy. I used to send animals to him. I showed him the picture of the geckos and he goes, yeah, those are all from me. No that's way. that's my packaging, right? That's my packaging, and I'm telling you 100. I can guarantee you that all those geckos are from from me. Like he's legally exporting from Malaysia; they didn't come from a national park. But that was just his story. And then, like when I heard that, I was like, you know, because at first you're kind of going, well, that's I guess that's my fault because you know you didn't tell didn't, them not to I do that. I didn't know that my animals were coming from, you know, like illegally from a national park. And then, and then feeling like sort of selling myself on the fact that it's like, yeah, well, that's what you deserve because you asked for animals that were, you know, coming from a national park, which is illegal. And then finding out that, no, that was just a BS story, you know, for him to be able to, to make it, you know, make, turn that situation into what it was. And then to come to find out that it was all a lie. And my and then and then I'm doing business even to this day with the guy in Malaysia, like legitimate business with you know, with with all those animals. And I was like, wow, really? Yeah. That's well that's so that. crazy. I mean, like you say, the, the people who are dealing animals, there are some shady characters for sure. And then you add the fact that in those countries, business is done a little bit different than we're used to in North America a lot of the time. And you gotta get used to that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people, I, I get messages constantly, people, I want to get into importing, you know, and then they, they expect me just to hand over my contacts and nobody's going to do that. But I, I do oblige and I'll tell them, okay, well, look, you know, you need, you need to get your import license. You need this, you need that. You need to be prepared, you know, to deal with volume of animals. You need to be aware that there are minimums and this is the cost involved and whatever. And like, so 
I, I do freely give people tons of information. I got zero help, zero information when I asked people about it. But when people ask me, like, I'm, I'm, okay, I'm okay, I'm happy to give out some information, but I'm not going to, like, give out my contacts information. And my contacts, if they were looking for more customers, then I would probably help them out and say, hey, I got a guy, he just contacted me, he wants to order from you you know, just for their own benefit, but my contacts aren't looking for new customers anyway. So um, I don't like, there's no need for that. But, but I do tell people, I'm like, there's a lot of scammers out there. And if you don't want to deal with the scammers, I recommend that you get on a plane and come out and go find your suppliers and go look at a farm. You know, don't look on Instagram, don't look at photos on Instagram or, or Facebook go over there and like, see if it's real, you know, go, go see if these people are real, but the same people that I'm, that I give that advice to in my mind, I, I think of that putting them, you know, like say like it's a, some skinny little 19 year old kid that's asking me, I want to import. And I'm like, dude, get on a plane and go over there. And then in my mind, I'm thinking, what if that little kid is the guy that was, in my spot in that little shop with the two mafia dudes and the guy, you know, challenging me and all that stuff. And I'm like, Oh, what a disaster. Yeah. What a disaster. Because it's not that I'm all big and bad or anything, but you need, when, when you're doing things like that, you need to be able to read people. You need to have a certain sense about you on so many different levels. You know, you just, you need to know, you need to know how to interact with people. You need to be able to read stuff. You need to be able to react certain ways to things and, and just all that stuff. It, it's, it's a, it takes a little bit of a talent. You well, know, and you're an intimidating that. figure as well, which is a huge, like you said, a skinny little 19 year old, it's going to be a little tougher to intimidate people or, or just at least have an air of dominance in that room. Yeah. Yeah. And some self-control and some humility and you need to know when to be what at what time um and these guys are they're they're reading you too you know they're like is this guy real is he legit he's only 19 like where does he have the financial capability to do business with me even if they're they are like totally legit you know like all kinds of stuff i remember from Indonesia when I first met met him, by the time I had already hit U.S. soil, because I worked, right, so I could only be gone for three, maybe four weeks at a time max from my job. So I got, every time I'd have some time off, vacation, whatever, I'd be going overseas. And so I went over there and I met him and I was back in the U.S. like three or four days later and he had already called around and and fact checked me mm. you know because i was supplying other importers with animals that i had been receiving from other shipments and whatever and so so i already had some street cred you know i already i was already kind of i was legit already and so if he wasn't able to figure out who i was what i had been doing and all that stuff he probably wouldn't have done any business with me you know but just everything checked out and then everything was, was okay. 
because there's a lot of people, a lot of people talk, you know, they're like, oh, I'm, I do this many thousands of dollars in shipments from here and there and whatever. And then, you know, you, you, you look at their, your, their photo album on Facebook and you go, no, you don't. Yeah. You know? <laughs> You're yeah. in high school. Yeah, well, yeah. No, you don't. <laughs> Everyone's got big talk on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that was, the whole thing was really wild and I did it. I did the whole thing under the noses of all of the big importers. They didn't help me. So I just went over there and just did it myself under their noses, you know, and they've, they've, there's been many attempts to disrupt my business over the years. And, um, no, you just, you can't do it. You know, I, when you go and you make, you make personal relationships with these people, it's hard to, to top that. Yeah. You you can't disrupt that with an email. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't just type a bunch of BS in an email and just say, Hey, he did this, he did this, he did that. You don't want to be doing business with him and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, but wait, like he was at my house having dinner with my family, (laughs) you know, you know, it's like, I don't think so. I think this is BS, you know? (laughs) So yeah, the whole thing is, is amazing. Um, it's a, even me to this day, when I look back and think about that, I did all that. It's, it's crazy to me that I even did that. It's insane. I don't, I, I just, it's weird. And, and the, the day, like the times, the, the years that I did that, you, you could do it. But in, in this day and age, I'm not even sure if you could do it. Like For just sure as far as, as, as volume, like just going back and forth as much as you did and moving as many animals or? Oh, like the, just the way things were at that time mm-hmm. with technology being what it was back then, less uh, reliant on the internet. And, and um, it was like the, in my opinion, it was kind of like the last of that era where you could do things that way. And then like now it's like, well, you, you, you could do it that way, but everybody wants to do it through Instagram or Facebook and not, not get on a plane, you know, like there's other, the other, there's other ways to do it, but they're, they're still not necessarily as good as the old fashioned way of where you go and shake someone's hand and look into their eyes and, and agree to things and, 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 and that sort of thing. So you know, it is, is super awesome, incredible experience. But I, but then like those crazy stories that I told you about, like those are crazy. Like the, yeah. those are real, that's some crazy stuff, you know. And so I, I still I look back and just go, wow, did I really do that? Like, <laughs> man, it's it's nuts. Well, and then you uh, have to navigate, you know, like something like CITES, for example, bringing in animals to the States, crossing borders. How difficult is that? How difficult was the learning curve with learning CITES? And do you think that it was an effective? I'll tell you something. I I guess I can tell it. I I mean, what, statue of limitations or what? I have no idea. But (laughs) my very first shipment, this was not my fault. It wasn't my doing. Doing business with that guy that, that like, threatened me that that story that guy so my very very first import ever it came it shipped to me and i had an invoice that belonged to someone else so so our our declaration 
to U.S. Fish and Wildlife was for a long laundry list of animals based on that invoice. But the invoices got crossed. So, and I was really upset because I ordered, you know, like X, Y, and Z, and, and I've got an invoice that's showing that I have like a thousand salamanders. I'm like, I didn't order salamanders. Like what? Like nothing on that invoice matched what I ordered. And so, so we make the declaration with U.S. Fish and Wildlife and the shipments coming in, it came in super late at night, like 11 p.m. I think the cargo office was closing at midnight and it was like, it was, I was stressed beyond what you can believe because this is my first time. I, I wanted everything to go right. I didn't want to get in trouble. I was intimidated by U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, you know, law enforcement agency and all this stuff. They chose to waive inspection, which means they just cleared the shipment without inspecting it, probably because it was late at night and maybe they didn't have staff or whatever. And I'm, I was thinking, wow, that's weird. I'm a brand new importer, very first import shipment, and they don't want to come check me out. That's just weird to me, but okay, fine. That's cool, right? Something that I don't have to deal with. And then when I got home, I, un I opened the box, started unpacking it, and it was, it was my order. It's just that it shipped with somebody else's invoice. So basically, all the animals that we reported to Fish and Wildlife that were the contents of that box, none of those animals were in that box. Wow. But, but the box was full of my order, which was completely different. And then in my packet of paperwork, because you know you have all sorts of airway bill, health health certificates, and all the big stack of paperwork from the airlines and all these different things. And then I had both invoices in there stapled as part of this package. It was my invoice and another dude's invoice that was going to France. I still remember then it was uh, Femme, La Femme Tropicale. I don't know if they're still in business, but I still remember the name of the business. But um, yeah, and then, so that, would, that could have been disastrous, right? And then on top of that, there were some animals that were, that were mislabeled, different scientific names. It was supposed to be non-CITES, but there, there were like CITES animals in that box. And it could have been the, like a rapid end to my whole importing career. And uh, by some stroke of luck or whatever, Fish and Wildlife didn't come and do an inspection. It just, it would have been a disaster. That would have been handcuffs. Yeah, it wasn't my doing. It wasn't intentional. It was just the paperwork that I was sent from the shipper is what we declared because that's what I was sent. And then it ended up not being, not being that. And oh my gosh. And that's sort of the tactic that sometimes the illegal importers will use, right? Switch, swap the paperwork and change the species. And I guess, will they hope that when they open the, they don't open the box or something to confirm to realize that it's not correlating with what's been declared, right? So it would have been hard yeah. for you to even talk yourself out of that. Like, this isn't what I ordered. <laughs> I think it would have been so obvious that they would have, and my invoice was in that packet of paperwork that mm. traveled with right, the box. Right. I think it would have been such an obvious mistake that it would have been rectified, but there were still, even if they went by the original invoice that was for me, there were, you know, like it was, um, I think it was like, it was 
Pataeus corals were, was on the invoice, but the animals were actually Pataeus mucosa, which are cites, something like that. And could fish and wild could fish and wildlife even like did would they have had the knowledge to to be able to discern between those two between those two like they were albinos and they were like morph animals anyway, so they probably wouldn't have even been able to catch it. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know. I, I didn't really know much about cites and not non-cites and all that stuff because it's not really it's not really the recipient's responsibility you rely on the the shipper to have those cites documents because things get inspected going out of right. the origin so they have to have things you know in line over there before they come over here it's just like a they're just double checking things. You yeah, know, so cites but, is more of a, a doorstop on the way out I guess the people check these animals to make sure you're not they're not sending animals out of those countries that sh can't be sent out. Yeah. Well, you have, you have non-CITES and then you have CITES. Some, some animals fall, you know, with, within the parameters of CITES. CITES 2 is possible. You can get your CITES permit, but if it's CITES 1, it's something that typically cannot be uh, trafficked at all. Uh, there, there is no CITES paperwork really that will cover a CITES one animal. So yeah, I mean, those are all checks and balances and, and all that kind of stuff. And like, now I'm like super well-versed in all that stuff, you know, and you can throw animals at me. And a lot of times I don't even have to look them up. I'm just like, Nope, that's CITES two, that's CITES one, that's non-CITES or whatever. So yeah. I'm pretty well-versed in it, especially doing what I'm doing now because we have a facility in Malaysia that you know, and we're focused on non-CITES animals. So now when I make the decisions to work with things, I'm I'm opting to, to work with non-CITES species as opposed to CITES species for the the difficulty or the, the ease of doing import-export. So I'm trying to focus almost exclusively on non-CITES species. But so I'm very well versed in it now. But um, it's a learning curve. Oh, that would have been a that would have been a really bad way to learn on the first one. Matt. Yeah, no kidding. That's yeah. a tough experience. But I learned real quick, you know, like I posted, I posted those albino animals on, on a group, like on a forum, and uh, people right away were like going, no, those aren't corals, those are mucosa. And those are CITES too. Did you get those with paperwork? And I'm like, uh, what? <laughs> yeah. But then that, that's when I started looking into to all of it, you know, and so... Yeah, it's, it's not as it simple as it seems at first. There's uh, some some legwork that needs to be done through that learning process. Yeah, yeah, and, and what you have to, and I don't know if this is even, I don't even know if we're within your, your line of questioning and all that stuff, but when you import, at least for, for on the U.S. side, if there's mistakes in that box, they can't touch the person in the other country. There, right. there's, you can't enforce any laws or rules uh, on a foreign person, right? So it's your your responsibility. So the part that I've always had a, a had some difficulty with is that. So say I make an order, and and the the shipper puts a a baby Komodo dragon in the box along with all the other monitors and all the other things that I order. I didn't order a Komodo dragon but there's a baby Komodo in, the, in that box, right? The box arrives in the US. It's in a sterile area, a customs protected area, in a, usually in like a fenced off area. 
I have no access to it until Fish and Wildlife does their inspection and then says, okay, it's good, right? And then they do an inspection and there's a baby Komodo dragon in there. And then next thing I know, like I'm catching a federal case and, and like maybe looking at going to prison. Right. And it's, well, I didn't pack the box. I wasn't in that country. I didn't order that. Clearly some, like somebody else made that mistake, but because I'm the one that they can put their hands on, it's my, it's my fault. It's my responsibility. And I've always just kind of thought, like the reason that you're inspecting is to catch, to catch those things, you know, like, like you're like, that's, that's the, that's the fish, fish and wildlife's job is to catch those things. But it's not my fault, you know, but I don't know. There are people out there that are purposely trying to do things like that. But I guess when you're not, and there's are there are like small little things like that, that happen. And then, and then you're the guy that that gets in trouble. I've had stuff like that happen before, not not anywhere remotely close to that example. That's extreme. But I've had things come in where like the scientific name is is correct and scientifically correct, but CITES fails to recognize that new updated name right. so that it doesn't arrive. And then and then you know fish and wildlife may want to confiscate those animals or open up an investigation and and you know they and then just go through all that all that rigmarole but you know i've been through that um and that that's that's just sad you know that all these government agencies can't all come together and just go look like cites needs to update their database like things change scientific names change if it changes and like we all accept that this new scientific name is correct and the government in indonesia follows that guideline but then cites fails to update and then on the paperwork like there's a disconnect because it doesn't match then how are you going to confiscate that animal like clearly yeah. like it's not the intent to try to you know we're not like smuggling animals in you know i don't know it's, it's a whole it's a whole different thing it's just the amount of red tape is just it's pretty intense it is it is and then that goes back to the kids on social media making jokes and posting all this stuff you know and and it's like dude you have no idea even just getting animals here into the u.s cleared cleared into the u.s is a whole thing in and of itself but you think it's cute you know yeah yeah do your little thing on Instagram. It's like, like you, you risk your, your libel to potentially having a you know a, a charge of tra animal trafficking. You also expose yourself financially massively, probably in some cases, by upfront paying for things. And then yeah. you have you, animals that you open up and they're dead. And there's like it's crazy that how much work an importer will go through and how much risk they take to make sure that the guy can pay you know post a video on TikTok with his snake. Yeah, exactly, and. The other thing that I tell people that do ask me or express interest in importing is that um, you have to usually take a whole bunch of stuff that you don't want. There's no such thing as like getting just a beautiful small box with 30 green tree pythons in it and like and just just a dedicated like small order that's just perfect. Exactly everything that you wanted, you know, male, female, 
ratio 50 50 you know like all that kind of stuff there's no such thing as that usually you have to you have to become a distributor you have to consume all of this other stuff that you have no interest in no need for don't want to deal with and then you're kind of like forced you know it, it becomes a huge burden where you have then you have to start reaching out to people you're like hey i got 100 toke geckos you know can you can you use them you know they're cheap you know or whatever you got to like find find ways to move all this extra stuff you know just because you know, I want that. I want those three Pattaya's Coronada that I've been waiting for, you know, and I'll go through through all the burden of taking this huge shipment of all this stuff, a thousand animals of dumpy frogs and all this stuff, things that I have absolutely no use for. I would do the import just for those three Pattaya's Coronada, but if the, the exporter won't, like it's, it's not worth it to him and just like they need a bigger sale. Yeah, I need. It's an amazing amount of work that they have to go through. I totally get it. They have to. They have to get customs approval within like twenty four hours of the shipment going out. And, yeah, I mean, just all kinds of stuff is a miracle that this stuff can even get get exported. Just, just by itself, the the burden of all the red tape is is crazy. So I understand that they want to. They have minimums and they want to make it. You know, like worth their worth their time but um but it's not as simple as just like going oh i want one pair of the alberts and maybe like 3.3 green tree pythons and you know and, no it's not like that. a thousand frogs with it <laughs> yeah yeah all that stuff you know and extra things are packed or pushed into the orders that you didn't even order and it's like well you i know you ordered three but there were 30 on the permit so i just sent you 30 and you're like, oh, yeah. And they're live yeah. animals. It's not like you're getting shirts in the mail. You got to deal with each one. Yeah, you can't just go. Oh, I just put that box in the garage. I'll deal with it next week or whatever. No, yeah. you have to. You know, <laughs> it's crazy. It is really crazy. Yeah, that is that is <laughs> insane. I, I thought we could wrap up the conversation around this uh, concept of professionalism. It's something that I've been kind of obsessing over lately because I think that is if if we're going to save herpetoculture, as you, you know, we kind of mentioned earlier, there there are many parties that don't want people to keep reptiles. Animal rights groups are always constant, and and even now regulation is starting to to squeeze us a little bit. And I think one way for us to you know, shield ourselves from that as being more professional. And I thought you made a, a pretty good post on Facebook. It was maybe a couple months ago, and you used, maybe it was like a little bit of a rant talking about some of the YouTube people and people being a little bit of a sort of goofs on, online and probably not giving us the best image. So I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Do you think that herpetoculture is improving that way? Do you think we're actually moving towards being more professional, or is it going the opposite in the wrong way? No, I think it's going down. It's going opposite. It. We're in a really bizarre time right now with social media and the dynamics that that surround it. Um, there are people that mean well, but they don't thrive in social media. You know, like it's they're not the most popular ones. They're they, and then somehow these these people that are that are just they've sold out for views and sold out for for popularity somehow those people are becoming 
like our ambassadors and it just it makes no sense the reason for that post was like you know you bump into somebody and they're like oh cool you have a youtube channel that's awesome have you ever seen oh what's that guy's name i can't think of his name but he's the guy that's always like dodging the that big python bites and he's always hooking the babies out of the eggs and you're just like no 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 that that's not me man like yeah like i have nothing like that and, and it's sad because though all of that like that's all that's what we all look like to the average people that don't know anything about it yeah they're know? our poster yeah they're yeah they're it they're like our they're they are our ambassadors and and it's like i got so fed up and i i had to say I just had to like declare that those dudes don't represent me at all. Mm -hmm. like, there's people need to realize that YouTube is mostly entertainment and the people that watch, they want to be entertained. They don't usually want to be educated. They don't want to see real stuff. They want to see like actors and jokes and pranks and they just, they want to be entertained. And I get that. I understand that. Like that's, you know, people turn on the TV and they want to be entertained by stuff. But when you're, you know, like when it's putting the risk of the, of the people that do this for a hobby or even do this for a living. And then everything is like, those people are all being, being watched and consumed and everything that they're doing. And it's like, it's, it, <sighs> Yeah, we're, we're going completely, completely backwards. And just like that post said, it's like, if you don't want those people to represent you, then pick better people to support on YouTube. Yes. And maybe let, like, let's get those people popular enough to where they are also in that same arena. And then the, the non-reptile people that are getting all these things like these videos recommended to them you know and then it's like oh well this guy is kind of an idiot but but this video also got recommended to me but this guy's really like he's legit like like he's really showing like a totally different side you know and then people can start to see that there's a difference between like we're not all that you know what i mean yeah. like, i don't think it'll ever happen the youtube algorithm favors that stuff it just it just it's like a snowball effect if you can you know i mean like a feeding video like a live feeding video it's like all of us in the reptile world it's like most of us don't even really like to feed live to our animals and if we have something that that feeds only on live we don't sit there and watch it and like think that it's the coolest thing and get a get a thrill off of it at least i don't if I have something that eats live like, and I can't get it to eat anything else, I toss it in there and I shut it down and I leave. Like, I don't, I don't want to watch that, you know, yeah. but then go on YouTube and look, look at a live feeding video of like a, a Pac-Man frog eating a live mouse or something. And man, millions of views. Cause that's what like the average person that doesn't know anything about this likes to see. I don't know, man. It's, <laughs> it, it, it's, it, it's it's horrendous and for me being retired and living out here and i have internet and i'm pushing more videos out i'm on a weekly schedule and i'm doing all this stuff 
I'm trying to like reply to all my comments and, and I, I take the abuse, you know, cause I got some real, sometimes some real trolls that come out, whatever. And I'm dealing and I'm doing all this stuff. And, and my YouTube channel is, is, it has a little bit of traction, but it's not going anywhere, you know, and I'm exposed more to what the other people are doing because I'm actually, you know, I'm uploading videos and I'm mm -hmm. checking my stats and, and videos are getting recommended to me, yeah. probably even based on the videos that I'm uploading. So like if I upload a video that has to, you know, maybe there's a reticulated Python and then somehow YouTube starts recommending reticulated Python videos to me. And you can just imagine who those people are and what I get to see. And then I'm just disgusted, you know, it's like, man, this is crazy. Yeah. But I don't know, it, it's a whole mess. Yeah. I could talk, I could talk for hours on that and, and probably get myself in a lot of trouble. But um, I just try to just tell myself, you know, hey, just keep doing what you're doing. It is whatever. It is yeah. what it is. You know? Well, it's, it's funny. I've, I've told this story before, this example before, because it, and you'll understand it because you're in, obviously into fitness, but you know, you could have somebody on Instagram who has a massive account and they might have a massive account because people like their pictures, people follow them and they might claim to be a fitness expert. But when you watch, and I'm, I'm a swim coach, so I, I'm like, I, part of my job is coaching athletes. And so you, you go to these big Instagram accounts and they seemingly have authority because they have a large following. And then you watch them exercise and you're like, what the hell are they doing? Like, this is just so bad. They shouldn't even be showing this. Like their technique is so bad. They're going to get people injured. But and people will gravitate towards it and they think that they're doing the right thing because the number of followers is so big yeah. and it's, it's a really dangerous system that social media has created. Yeah. And I've been trying to figure out what I'm doing wrong. I know what I'm doing wrong. I'm not being an idiot. So that, that is what I'm doing wrong. Right. And I'm not doing stupid stuff, you know, and I'm not doing all these sensationalistic things. And so I understand that, like, that's my fault and and that's just the way it's going to be so i will i get what i get right for being that way but um there's so many times where like say a video gets recommended to me and i'm like oh wow who's this guy like he has a check mark by his name or whatever i never heard of him as a reptile guy or whatever and then and then you 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 go and look to see like oh maybe he's doing something that i should be doing and then you look and you scroll through and the guy's got like a bunch of live feeding videos and he, and everyone has like 2 million views or a million views because because there's like a 40 second video of him putting like putting two animals against each other and letting them like fight to the death or something yeah. like that and then and then you just scroll through and you're like there's nothing worthy on this channel but he has this huge following and then that guy could if he wanted to you know, then put a video out that says the best way to keep your monitor lizard or something, you know, and then everybody will be like, "Wow, man, this guy has 300,000 subscribers on YouTube, man, let me watch it, you know, and it could be completely wrong or off base or whatever. And yeah, and yeah they, they, they become the authority, you know, for doing something like that. <laughs> so I totally get it. I yeah. totally get it. Yeah, it's definitely a bit of a problem. And, and so, and it does not help us in that 
if we if we had an aspiration for professionalism, that really kind of squishes it. And and you know, pe- it doesn't take long for an animal rights person to go on in, or to go on YouTube and find those types of videos live feeding, and it just doesn't look good for us. And I think you're right. YouTube is that entertainment platform. And and one of the things that you said in that post that I thought was really shocking was, and this is sort of on a tangent, and you don't have to go into super detail if you don't want to, but talking about cutting females open to grab eggs that were not laying in time. I've never heard that before, but I'm also very sheltered. I'm in the middle of Canada. I'm really not part of the hobby to that extent. So I've never read anything like that before. Can you expand a little bit on that? Yeah. Well, when reptiles represent money and you're not really into the animals so much and you're very, very desperate to get like a world's first or something, and then the animal is like three days late or four days late on laying according to your calendar. And then it's just go get the, go, go get the saw, go get the sawzall. I'm getting these eggs out. And so that, that did happen. Um, employees for a certain YouTuber um, were like told to go get the sawzall and, 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 cut an animal open for its eggs that is for, just unbelievable. For, for a chance at world's first animals you know and so there's <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot of stuff like that out there and um it's not my place really to to call people out like yeah. that i just I, sometimes that backfires and whatever but um i don't have that video on my phone but uh I know somebody that did have that, that cell phone video on their phone, but uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy. People do stuff like that, you know, and that, that's a prime example of what happens when, when animals, um, they represent money, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, and it's, you know, and, and now we are, we, we're here with YouTube and, and buying animals, for a YouTuber oftentimes represent money because then they can turn that into the next YouTube video and the next sensational thing and whatever. And um, yeah, it's just weird. It's just, it, that's what happens when things like become, they can become a commodity and your livelihood and all that stuff. And, and I think, I just think so many people have lost their way, you know, yeah. it's just, it's become all about the money and, and, um, and, and it's no longer, the animals i'm sitting in this house you know for those i don't know if your audience watches me or not but we put it all out there and so almost everything that you see my house this fish tank the other big fish tank our emus like like all all of that stuff i owe all of that to reptiles i owe all of that to reptiles yes I had a regular job. Yes, I retired. Yes, I get this small piddly pension, which is fine for me over here. But reptiles pretty much got me all of this stuff. And so I still love reptiles. And I'm still in this business. And I'm still breeding. I'm still trying to do like super cool things and all that. But I owe it all to the animals. So that's why... I have not changed the way I do things. I have not changed the things that I do. I'm trying to still be respectful to the animals. I'm still trying to 
save animals. I'm trying to just everything that I do, I, I realize that I owe so much to the animals. I owe so much to this business and being, see the one thing that the YouTubers, in my opinion, like, yes, they're, they're great YouTubers, but they're crappy business people in the reptile business. They're crap. The reputations are crap. The things that they've done in the past are crap. And, but they're great YouTubers. But for me, and I don't want to sound like I'm tooting my own horn, but I have been great in this business. I haven't been the loudest voice. I haven't been the face of, of the reptile hobby, but I've done really, really good in this business by maintaining certain principles and morals and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not going to change. And so I won, I won over those people by, by running my business the way I run my business. And I, and, and I still have the passion for the animals. I still love the animals and I'm not going to do stuff that's going to hurt their image or hurt my image. And so that's, that's the path that I'm on. And that's the path that I'm going to stay on all the way to the end. I mean, Am I a YouTuber? I don't know. I don't know what numbers you need to have to be able to call yourself a YouTuber. Sometimes I feel like I'm a YouTuber. Sometimes I don't. Right now I don't because some of my videos are like hardly getting any views. So I don't really feel good. But then if I have a video that comes out and it's got a lot of views, I'm like, man, I feel like a YouTuber, you know, but, um, but I'm, I'm still doing it. It's fun for me. It's, it's like a hobby. It keeps me busy. It keeps me connected with people. And so, so I'm still going down that YouTube path, but I know that if I continue being who I am and being true to the animals and all this other stuff, it's not, it's only going to get me so far. You know what I mean? But, but from a business perspective, it got me very far. So I don't see any of those other YouTubers like retired and moving out of the country and, and all that kind of stuff, you know. So, like for me, for me, I'm 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 good with that. But mm. <laughs> it's a whole other, it's a whole it's a whole other topic. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think at the end of the day, having the obvious respect for the animals is what you, you will attract the audience that feels the same way, and we want to see the respect for the animals and yeah you're probably not going to attract the person that wants to see the crazy thing but at the end of the day that's not who you want on the watching the videos anyway you want people who who are true passionate reptile keepers or just reptile lovers in general and we want to see the animals be respected we don't want to see them flailing around under the egg and like just like that does not look good or feel right watching it right right yeah no you're you're definitely right on the money on there um my my audience is fantastic. Uh, every once in a while, I'll get some troll that'll sneak in there and, and drop a really, a really hor- horrific message on there, you know. And so, and then I just block them. But, um, but no, my audience is great. They're all supportive. They love to watch the journey, what we're doing, and all that kind of stuff. But, but yeah, I mean, our content doesn't doesn't really hook hook a lot of people just because it's it's just not it's just not that kind of sensationalistic stuff mm-hmm. 
Well, I think it, it hooks the right people probably. And it's nice to see the animals in their natural habitat too. And I think that helps keepers as well. If you're keeping those species, even if you're not keeping those species, keeping snakes, it's nice to see snakes in the wild and see what it looks like. And you can kind of you know base your care off of that. But anyway, Dan, I feel like we could talk forever. And I, I really do think you probably have a book <coughs> in you somewhere. And I think that would be amazing one day if you did that, because you probably have just an unlimited I, amount of stories. I just the other day told my wife that I... I do feel like I want to write a start writing a book, um, especially being out here. I have a lot of downtime, but my story is not over yet. So Mm. I don't know when the right time would be to actually do the book thing, but I could certainly start writing it now and just add to it as I go because, you know, COVID right now kind of has us on pause a little bit, but uh, I have a facility in Malaysia that is turned out, really really nice and there's a lot of really really cool animals over there and i just can't i can't really divulge it because i can't get there to actually go film and show off all that stuff but uh but yeah i mean there's a there's there's another chapter or two you know there's a lot of travel in me still i want to get to uh i want to get to indonesia i want to i want to travel around i want to document way more species in the wild uh, but of course, the pandemic has us kind of on pause right now. But uh, but there's there's more to that book, I'm sure. <laughs> would, you, would you ever start? Would you ever do a podcast? Because a podcast would allow you to almost do like chapters of a book and just lay it out and then continuously add to it. I don't know if that's something you consider, but I think people would listen to you tell stories for a long time. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I never really thought about it. I always do better when I'm having a dialogue with somebody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the conversation is so much better when I'm just talking to the camera. It just, it turns into just a weird like monologue and it's yeah, yeah. kind of, kind of weird to me. So, so maybe I, a I book know. is better in the future. I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I like the idea of like doing podcasting and all that, but, um, but then the person that I'm with, like who gets to put it on whose channel and I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I have no idea. I don't know, but all those things are kind of on my mind. Um, and then again, do I feel like people want to listen to me talk? Well, I don't know. There's not a lot of people that are listening to me talk already as it is. So I don't know if that would even go anywhere. <laughs> but a book would be cool because then it's it's just a book. Like you either pick it up and read it or you don't. Yeah, you know? I think a book would be really cool. Yeah, yeah. I got to find more pictures from the past because unfortunately man i'll tell you what my my channel might be pretty incredible if there was a youtube and if there was video back and i could have documented all of that stuff in the beginning that would have been awesome but uh but there's not a whole lot of that stuff from back then even still photos like i gotta dig deep but i don't know how many photos there are (laughs) yeah yeah see that's where the book comes you just gotta just be descriptive and, and paint the picture for us you're right. You're right. <laughs> well, can you let everybody know if they don't know already where they can find you online, any social media or Instagram or um, YouTube as well? Yeah, um, pretty. I mean, we're we're on Facebook, uh, DM Exotics on Facebook, um, Dan Malary, my name on my personal page on Facebook as well. I don't post a lot on Facebook um, because I, when I open Facebook, I see the same names over and over and over and over and over again of people posting the same nonsense. And I don't want to be that guy because it starts to, 
I start to develop an opinion of those people. So I don't want to be posting all the time on Facebook because I don't want people to be looking at me going, oh, look, here's this guy again. What the, what's this nonsense? But we do have those Facebook pages and Messenger is, is great. Instagram is uh, DM underscore exotics. And I don't post a whole lot on Instagram either. YouTube, we're posting every Saturday at 6 a.m. Pacific time. And occasionally we will drop uh, like a midweek spontaneous video of whatever, if I have something cool to share. And um, I haven't let it out yet, but you may be seeing me at uh, a couple of expos in Southern California in September. And we have animals lined up and lots of stuff coming. So, um, and then uh, YouTube, of course, is DM Exotics. And that's about it. I try to do most of my updates through uh, through YouTube because we're doing uh, regularly scheduled mm. uploads. So I try to do most of my announcements through through that. But uh, I get uh, emails and messages all day long, every day. And I am in Thailand. So I know between you and I, there's a 12 hour difference. So um, I think it's a 14 hour difference between like my home in California and here. So if you do send messages, you may not get a reply right away because I'm asleep. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, but beyond that, no, we're, we're busy. DM Exotics, the business lives on. It is not, uh, it did not disappear. I've had people even on Facebook say that I've died. Um, I haven't died. I'm still alive. <laughs> I swear. Yeah, it's yeah. Me. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, we're still in business. We're still exporting. Uh, we're, we're running shipments from, from our, our current lineup of suppliers um, and shipments are, are ongoing and, we're busy. We're very, very busy still. Theme Exotics is alive and well. I'm alive and well. And yeah, that is about it. Awesome. So well, platforms. Fantastic. Dan, I, this was a great conversation. I, I, like I said, we could probably talk for hours and hours. So thank you so much for joining me. I know the listeners will have enjoyed this yeah. as well. So thank you very much. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. That is the end of that episode. Dan, thank you so much for spending the time with me. And for those that are listening, I think Dan and I chatted for probably another hour or so after we were finished recording. So I appreciate you spending the time with me and also waking up. Well, I don't think you, I think you already do wake up fairly early. So it wasn't an early wake up for you, but we did record fairly early your time. I think it was 8am your time. So I do appreciate that as well. And I think the listeners are probably thinking the same thing. There's more stories in your head. So we're definitely going to have to have Dan back on in the future and get more of those stories out because I think it was just fascinating to have a chat with him. And I'm sure it was fascinating for everyone to listen to. If you are interested in learning more information about the podcast, make sure you head to animalsathomenetwork.com. There you'll find the show notes for every episode. No matter how you listen to the show, whether it's the audio version or the video version, I hope that you have a chance to share it with a friend. Even if you just share it with one person, that is really helpful. So either share the Spotify or the Apple link or whatever podcasting app you use or the YouTube video on social media or send it to a friend. That really does help grow the show. It's surprising how much one extra listener does because that person will then do the same thing and then it creates sort of a compounding effect. So if you can share it, that would be fantastic. If you are interested in any new reptile-related equipment, make sure you head to the show's sponsor, customreptilehabitats.com. There is a sponsorship link or an affiliate link in the YouTube description as well as the show notes. Again, as I said earlier, that is an affiliate link. So if you do make a purchase, a small commission does come back to me. And if you are wanting to join us on 
on Patreon, you can head to patreon.com slash animals at home. All the information is there for you. And again, as I mentioned last week, I probably should have mentioned this in the intro, but I'll mention it right now. As I mentioned last week, make sure you head to CanHerp on Facebook. That's C-A-N-H-E-R-P. Follow up to date with, with the things that are happening in Canada right now. We are dealing with some pretty intense regulation, especially in the province that I live in or the capital city that uh, is in the province that I live in. So we're trying to slowly build a defense against that. So I would love if you guys could just follow along with that story as well. I think that is the end of this episode. Thank you all for tuning in. I do really appreciate it. And I will catch you next Sunday.